Lord, as we come into another session, we want to commit this to you again, Lord. We know that apart from you, we can do nothing. Holy Spirit, we need you to teach us, guide us, Lord, because you're the one that would bring illumination and understanding, revelation, O oh Lord, that we need. And so please be with me and be with all of us here, even those who are listening in. We just want to bless and honor you and praise you, Lord, even as we declare your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Tonight the topic is on light. And in the Greek, the transliterated word is, in English we will spell it as P-H-O-S, force. So since it's the 4th of May and it's May the 4th, for the sake of Star Wars fans, I was very tempted to entitle this teaching, May the Force Be With You. Although light and darkness, you know, in the Star Wars stories, we talk about the dark side, right? Although light and darkness, the concepts are all employed, uh, I want you to know that the worldview of Star Wars is not consistent with Christianity at all, in case you didn't realize that. So as such, I've decided against it because I don't want to confuse anyone or be misconstrued. I'm already controversial enough for those of you who have been reading my posts up on uh, Facebook and my uh, blog. And I don't want to be misconstrued as endorsing the values of Star Wars in a Christian, in a kingdom type of teaching. I have, however, adopted a father and a son theme. Okay, not Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker, but God the Father and God the Son, Jesus. And hence the title, Like Father, Light Son, just to play on this word, light. But more specifically, as the text will reveal, you know, we want to know what it means for us to be light. Because we are called the children of God, amen? We are the children of light. So as Jesus is the Son and He's like the Father, what does it mean for us as His children also? But before that, I think we have to get into the text. So if you'll turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, as we continue our journey through this gospel, we are in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So as what we did last week, let's look at a broad observation of this one phrase, you are the light of the world. Once again, this is one of the two similitudes that Jesus used immediately after introducing the Sermon on the Mount through the uh, seven or eight Beatitudes, depending on how you want to look at it. It can be eight Beatitudes or seven with one entire summary at the end. Last week, we explored this phrase, you are the salt of the earth, and today we will look at this phrase, you are the light of the world. And as in the case of salt, as we have already established, that one word you is translated from in that language with uh, an emphasis, which means it's not just you generally, it's emphatically you. It's like pointing a finger directly to make sure that you get the message that this is applicable to you. Yes, that's you that we are talking about. Also, at the same time, we look at this word world. And the world in the Greek is, is actually cosmos. You are the light of this world. It can mean the entire world, or if you look at the different usage of uh, this one word called cosmos, it can also mean the values of or the systems of this world. Whatever is happening right now in this world, you are to be that light within this system. And in that understanding of being light, what is your function? You bring light into a world that is steeped with darkness. And I want you to imagine a little bit 
that if this room was, was dark, or really if we have a, a power failure. Now in Singapore, we hardly have something like that. But if you have traveled to another neighboring country, you know, further out from Singapore, if you have done missions, sometimes halfway to preaching, you are literally in the dark. Right? The, the power just goes and uh, nobody flinches because it's so common. But for us Singaporeans, it's like, oh no, you know, my PowerPoint failed. I cannot use my projector anymore. You know, what do I do? In those days, in the time of Jesus, I think darkness would be very easily understood that when Jesus said, you are the light of the world, there is an emphasis. The picture was so clear. For us, you know, in a, in a city-type dwelling, it's so hard even to try to see the stars, right? You know, and, and there was a time when we were in Australia and we said, quick, 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 let's switch off all the lights. And wow, you know, we can see the entire sky just riddled with little bright lights all over the place. In Singapore, we have to switch off the entire island. There's no way we can see that. So we, we, we don't see this picture as stark, as you know, something that's obvious as how the Lord Jesus might have intended it. But as we look at this statement, we have to ask ourselves, what is then the significance of light? What does light represent? Of course, we know as a function, we have to, we have to shine, we have to bring some brightness here and there. But biblically, there are quite a few understandings of this one word called light. But I want to highlight three which I feel are the most important and that would be meaningful for us as we look at this phrase and ask ourselves, what does it mean for us to be the light of the world? The three words that I want us to look at is light is referring to life. It can be used to refer to truth. It can also be used to refer to wisdom. Biblically, as we go through, you will find uh, from Scripture that conceptually, these are the points that will be symbolic, that will bring meaning to an understanding of what light is. So let's quickly move to the first one. Let's look at life. Now, life can refer to both the physical life, and you know that there's also a spiritual life. And to a Hebrew mind, both the physical and the spiritual, they are not in two compartments. To the Hebrew, they would understand that it, they, they see life as in, in the whole totality, even the entire person. It's not one part versus the other part. Today, we, we tend to dichotomize. We try to trichotomize. We try to divide things and separate it. But that was not the case for the, um, the, the people of Israel. Life is both physical as well as spiritual. And simply, if there is no light in those days, you can imagine there would be no life. If there was no light, there can be no life. If you remember in the creation account on the very first day, right in the beginning of the Bible, God declares and He says this, Let there be light. And there was Light, that was the very first thing that he declared and he proclaimed before creating anything. And if you looked at the creation account, day one, day two, day three, trees came on, shrubs were there, vegetation was there. And only on day four, let there be light, God says, in the firmament. And only on day four, the sun was put in place. Then the moon was put in place and all the stars were put in place. Now, many times when we look at the creation story and for many years, I never noticed this. We just presume that let there be light means the sun was there. But the sun and the heavenly bodies only came into being on the fourth day, which means God would have supernaturally declared a light that would have come before all that without which on the third day the vegetation immediately would not have survived. If there is no light, there is no life. And for the people in those days, being agrarian and where agriculture is important, light was very, very particular and important for them because it would be their livelihood. Once we understand that, we can then understand also man's propensity and draw, being drawn always to, to worship the sun or to worship the moon because they, they see that as life-giving source. 
with there's no sun and the sun sort of stops for a while, there will be a big problem. If the sun was way too hot as we're experiencing it these days, the crops will die, things will dry up, right? So it has to be just that optimum amount of light that would be needed. That is why men through the ages, we've been worshipping the sun and people would attribute it to a sun god or a moon god. Think about this, the ninth plague upon Egypt before God took the people of Israel out of the land. What was the ninth plague? It was darkness and it was a direct hit against the sun god of Egypt named Ra. And God is saying, look, you trust in this sun, you trust in this thing that gives you, that you think gives you life. Now let's see how much He can help you or how can He help you out of this. And there was darkness in the land, but for the people of Israel, there was light. See, if there is no light, then there is no life. Light can also represent everything that is good in life. So spiritually and physically, when we look at things like prosperity, when we look at things like we're safe and we have blessings and we enjoy things, you know, we can say that I suppose we can be frolicking in the light as opposed to I've been living in a time of darkness. That means I've, I've poverty, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got sadness, you know, there's death in the place, you know. And so light represents life and not just life where we breathe, but life also in the things that we enjoy in our life. Now, interestingly, as I was preparing for this, last week, over the internet, suddenly there was this scientific discovery that was being published. This is actually dated on the 29th of April, 2016. Let me just try to explain this, and hopefully I will be clear and accurate in this, because I'm no scientist. They did a research in Northwestern University, and they found that at the moment of conception, now what you see up on the screen, it looks like a, a planet. It's not. It is a very magnified picture of an egg. At the time of conception, when the sperm meets the egg and it's fertilized, there is a flash of light. Isn't that amazing? Now, I'm going to show this to you, and let me narrate this. What you're seeing this is the egg, and you see a little glow in that, and it's just repeating. It doesn't mean that it's flashing all the time. Huh? I'm just repeating. I'm looping this video for you. That at the point of conception, and you and I who are believers in Jesus Christ, who believe that we are all made in the image of God, today we can declare that life begins at conception. Amen? Isn't a beautiful, beautiful thing here? Let me read a quote from this article. At the moment of conception, the egg releases massive amounts of zinc, which creates a spark that can be seen with the aid of a microscope. It was remarkable, said Teresa Woodruff, a professor of obstetrics and gynecology at Northwestern University's medical school, to see the zinc radiate out in a burst from each human egg was breathtaking. So it's all over the research world and the medical world, and it's all also over the, the theological world. Because we who have the Bible, we already know this. In John chapter 1, verse 4, it says, In Him was the life, and the life was the light of man. And the moment someone is created, God is the one who orchestrates that. He's the giver of life. And as He does that, there is a light that bears testament to this beautiful, beautiful thing. So light symbolizes life. So when it says you are the light of the world, can you imagine this? You're the one that brings life. You're the one that declares life, demonstrates life, shows life. You're the one that, that causes the world to be alive as it were in the things of God and in the ways of God. The second thing is truth. Light can also symbolize truth. And when we talk about truth, two words we want to keep in mind. Guidance and direction. Because it is truth that must guide us. 
it must be truth that would direct us. And specifically, biblically, as we understand this, we are looking at God's truth that guides us and directs us in His ways, in His righteous ways. But in a physical sense, again, we look back in the, to the Exodus, that God also guides us physically, even geographically. We know that as the people of Israel came out of Egypt, how did God guide them? By GPS. It was a God positioning system, right? It was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Why? Because this was to show forth light. This is the way to go. Right? This is what it is. You keep your eyes on this pillar of light. And it, there will be safety, there will be guidance, and there will be direction. I will bring you where you should be going. Now today as believers of the Lord, we are thankful that it is also God's direction and God's truth is also expressed in God's word as well as His moral law. Now, this verse in Psalm 119, verse 105, we, we sing it often and it's very familiar. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Let me read to you from Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23 and 24. For the commandment, God's commandment, His scriptures, His word, for the commandment is a lamp and the law a light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. In other words, if you are looking for God's light, we can find this in His Word. We look to His law. We look to Scripture. We look to His commandments because the Bible tells us that His commandments are good. His commandments are not burdensome. They are only burdensome to us because we don't want to follow in that truth. We want to walk where we want to walk and we want to do what we want to do, you see? And so today, truth, as you know, is, is being redefined. And that's why we're having worldview meetings. We're having apologetics type of conferences today because we have to get back to what we understand as God's truth. God's Word can also be seen through God's prophetic word by the Holy Spirit. Today, we have no problem saying that we are led by the Spirit. But I, I need to make one point very clear so that we can remember this always, that the Holy Spirit will never move in contradiction to Holy Scripture. Amen? And we need to know the Word of God so that we can also check and test every spirit that we are indeed led by the correct spirit and not any other spirit. God's Holy Spirit would also guide us by His prophetic word, which brings us truth because the Holy Spirit brings us into and guides us into all truth. Now, what is this truth and guidance and direction for? Because God declares this to Isaiah in chapter 42, verse 6 and verse 7, and later on, he repeats the same thing in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. This is how it reads. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness, and I will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. See, God is wanting to give His servant, presumably, if you look at it in the servant songs, it can refer to the nation of Israel. But later on, you and I, as we've been going through this whole study, that Jesus would also be the second Israel. Because where the nation failed in being a light, being a guide, being a director, as it were, of truth and to God and to God's salvation, where they failed, Jesus would be the one to be given as a light to the Gentiles. And so God's truth, God's direction, God's guidance, it's not only reserved for His people only, it is His desire that everyone come to the knowledge of this truth. Amen? Everyone comes to an understanding of this truth that they might be saved out of that darkness and into His marvelous light. Now, does it stop there where the proclamation is only upon Jesus? 
If it was, then we can heave a big sigh of relief and say, well, thank God for Jesus and it ends there. But it does not because in the book of Acts chapter 13, verse 47, it is actually declared, for so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you. Who's the you? That's us. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. This is quoted again, but now with the context of saying to the believers who believe in Jesus Christ, who is that light of the Gentiles, that mission, that assignment has been placed upon us, not that we can bring people salvation, but we can point people to salvation. We, as light of the world, we are to shine truth. We are to also bring guidance. We are to also provide direction. The third thing about light is this one word called wisdom. And when we say wisdom, you can put the other two words with it, understanding and revelation. Now in the book of Daniel, we know that Daniel was compared even to, even above the wisest of the wise men of the courts of the king. And this is what was said of him in Daniel chapter 5, verse 14. I have heard of you, that's what the king said that the Spirit of God is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Can you see that the word light, wisdom, understanding, all mentioned together, they are like synonymous. So when we say someone has light or we use that phrase in English, ah, I see the light. You know? Suddenly it means, oh, I understand. What I didn't understand before, now I understand. What I didn't see before, now I can see. There is a revelation, so to speak. So as we look at Daniel, we have to ask ourselves this question. Is it only for Daniel? Is it only reserved for a person like Daniel? And I say no. I declare if you look at the person of Daniel, I would rather we observe his lifestyle. I would rather we observe his obedience, his faithfulness, and his commitment to Yahweh. I then can safely conclude that this is not only for Daniel, but for all who would have the Spirit of God and for all who would love God's words and God's ways. Would you say amen? This is open for everyone. And that's why Jesus can say, You are the light. Because you have that wisdom. You have the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. At the same time, it's not just mere Bible knowledge. Sometimes we think, you know, if we can quote the Bible well, then, oh, we are the wisest ones, you know, we are the better ones. That's not the case at all. I quoted just now from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. That Paul was praying that God would grant you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of God, of Him. And in Daniel chapter 11, in verse 32, it says, those who know their God. You see, it's not just for Bible knowledge, it's not just for us to appear smarter or better, but it's for those who know their God. So Paul continues in verse 18, so that once you receive the Spirit and once you know who your God is, your heart's being enlightened. You see? It's the same word. Your heart's lighting up suddenly and you're like, whoa, this is the God I serve. Oh, this is the power that I have. Oh, this is the Holy Spirit that lives in me. Oh, this is... You know, it's all there. It's, it's always been there. All we need is an unveiling of it. Amen. You just need the light switch to go on. And so this is open to each and every one of us. At the same time, it's not just moral education as we would like to have it, although it's important. We need to know God's ways. We need to live according to His moral law. But this wisdom is especially important in this day and in this age. We need wisdom. We need discernment. Because we are living, the Bible reminds us, the days are evil. The days are evil. And towards the next part, I will explain a little bit why wisdom is so important for us, the believers of Jesus Christ, at this point. Because I will tell you something. 
that we are not the only light around. I'll just leave it at that for a moment. If we look at light and the concepts of light, just as three important things, life, truth, wisdom, you are the light of the world. You are the life of this world. You are the truth that needs to be established here. You are, it says in, in the book to Timothy, the church is to be the pillar and the ground of the truth. You are the light. The church needs to have wisdom and understanding of how we conduct ourselves in this day and in this age. But we have to ask ourselves, are we drawing from the right light? Are we getting the right source of this light? And I think you're catching this drift as I've been alluding that there is an alternative source. And so we have got to look at where our source is from. And obviously, as we look at this title of being light father and light son, we've got to get back to the father first. We look at God the father and we are told and we know that God is the father of light. And in case you have not noticed, if you would look at your Bibles and if you're lazy, you just look at the front and you look at the back. It starts with light. We started with that verse. God says, let there be light. And I think it's very possible that it was the light of His glory because if He is all of life, then He sustains life by His light. And all the way right to the end in Revelation chapter 21 and in 22, it says that there will be no more need of the sun. There will be no more need of the moon or the heavenly bodies or the heavenly lights because God Himself will be our light. The Bible is totally consistent in so many of its concepts. It starts with light and it ends with light. It's not any old light. It starts with God and it ends with God. It starts with God as light and it ends with God and it closes with God as light. we got to get this clear so that we know that this is the correct light. This is the right source. God is light in Him. There is no darkness. We also know from James chapter 1, verse 17. And that's a verse where we get this phrase that God is the Father of lights. And in Him, there is no variation, there's no shadow of turning. And here we can understand that phrase to mean that, you know, how bright it is. That His light, there's no darkness. He doesn't turn. There's no variation. There's not one day He, he shines this way, another day He shines that way. He just is. And it is the consistency of God. It is the, theologians use this word, the immutability of God, the unchanging God, the no variation God. God does not change. Do you believe that? Do you really, really believe that? Because the Christians say, I believe God does not change. And as soon as they say that, they tell you, the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. If God does not change, He does not change. If He was in the past, He is today. If He is what He is today, then He was also in the past. Amen? He was and He is and He will be. God does not change. This is the light that we have to hold on to. And we must draw from. And we know that Jesus is the Son and He's called the true light. John chapter 1 verse 9. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. And as there is a true light, there are also false lights. Now Jesus immediately identifies Himself with the Father. And in identifying Himself with the Father, He identifies Himself with God. And you know in the book of John, it's called the I Am book, right? There are so many I Am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And this one statement, I am the light of the world. That's one of them. I am. I am that I am. And it was Jesus declaring, taking that, that position to say, as I declare this, if you know who I am is, I am that I am. I am the light of the world. If God is the Father of lights, then I am that same light. I am that true light. And if you will follow me, you will not walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. John chapter 8, verse 12. 
And so in this, the Father is revealed in the Son, and this, the Son then reveals the Father, and hence this title, like Father, like Son. But don't stop there. Don't stop there. I'm always saying this one phrase, don't stop there. Because Jesus also qualifies a period. And many of us miss this one phrase. In John chapter 9, verse 5, he says, As long I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Did you get this? He's saying this very clearly. As long as I'm here. Now, Jesus was physically here in one place, in the world. As long as I'm here, I am the light of the world. Can we infer from this one phrase that there will be a time that Jesus will no longer be here physically? Is that yes? Right? Because he keeps telling the disciples, in a little while, I will not be with you. In a little while, I'll be going away, right? And so he says, as long as I'm here, I am the light of this world. And later on in chapter 12, verse 35, he says, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. Verse 36, while you have the light... Obviously referring to himself. Believe in the light. And he gives this invitation. So that you may become sons of light. You see, Jesus qualifies a period to say that as long as I'm here, I will be the one to show people what life is. To show them what truth is. To show them what true wisdom is all about. But when I'm no longer here, there will be other sons. You believe in me so that you too can become sons of light. Amen? And so now, Jesus gives that invitation and those who believe in Jesus Christ, Jesus is no longer in this world physically. Now, the funny thing is when I share this with my students and with Christians, they just can't get their mind around that statement because, of course, Jesus is omniscient, right? He is always with us. Amen? But physically, he's not here as we understand this. And because he's no longer in this world, who is the light of the world now? We are the light of the world. You are sons and daughters of light. You are the light of the world. And Jesus is declaring this in Matthew chapter 5, our passage today. You are the light of this world. I want you to see how consistent Scripture is. Do you know in the entire book of Matthew, light is not mentioned very much. And this passage in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16, is, only the, is really the second mention of light. And it already declares, you are the light. Do you know when the first mention can be found in? It's actually just one chapter before this, in chapter 4, where suddenly... Matthew records and declares that the people who sit in darkness, they have seen a great light. Jesus is that great light. Light has dawned upon them. Prophecy is fulfilled. Jesus is that light. And the disciples who follow Jesus, this great light, will now become the light of the world. Consistent, totally. Believe in that light that we can be sons of light. Pauline theology expresses the same consistent thought. It says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And he says, don't have anything with darkness. Don't have any fellowship. In fact, you should be the one exposing the things done in darkness. Don't have party with them. Don't do things together with them. Walk as children of light. Philippians chapter 2, 14 to 16. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless. Children of God. Children of God. Without fault in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Very consistent. You are children of God. The world is perverse, 
The world is crooked. The world is in darkness. When you get in there, you have to bring life. You must declare truth. You have to show wisdom. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 4 to 6. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day, the day of the Lord, it should not overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light. You are all sons of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep, but let us watch and be sober. Do you understand what this passage is saying? It's not saying you will know exactly the date and the day or the hour because we are told we, we, we do not know that. But if we walk in the light as we are the light and God is the light and you know, we begin to have wisdom and understanding and we see the signs of the times, we understand the significance. We of all people should understand it is near. Are we ready? Are we awake? Are we doing what needs to be done? Are we fulfilling? Are we ready to meet the Lord to give account when the righteous judge calls us to account? It shouldn't take us by surprise. I mean, think about this. As we talk to our friends and we you know, speak to Christians, many are clueless. Many are none the wiser. We are children of light. We should be the people warning everyone else. But what are we doing? But make no mistake, please remember that the light that we have is a derived light from the true light. It's an empowered light from the true light. It is not light in and of ourselves that we generate. We, we cannot do anything of that sort. It is a light that is reflected and the best example is the moon by itself has no light. The moon reflects the light of the sun, as you know that. And it is the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ that has been revealed in and will be revealed through us because we are only jars of clay, earthen vessels, outside cracked pots, <laughs> look like nothing, not worth very much, but the treasure that we carry within us. Friends, you are the light of the world. That's what you are. But you see, your source has to be a right source. Your source must be a correct source that comes from God the Father and God the Son and we who believe are sons of light. Of course, we ask ourselves then, then so what? The moment Jesus declares this, He gives us two what we call hyperbolic expressions, very extreme expressions. And the first one, he states the obvious. He wants to make his point so clear that you just can't miss it. He says, look, you are the light of this world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. If we listen to this, it's like, yeah, I mean, like, that's obvious, right? And Jesus is saying, precisely, we have to be that obvious. There's no such thing as a closet Christian. Once you walk in, you are either known as a Christian or you're not. And is it funny that we, we, we sometimes say things like that? Oh, we worked together for quite a few years. Oh, I didn't know you were a Christian. And suddenly we discover, ha, there's a Christian in the next department. Hello, we are to be that obvious, amen? We are to be that weird if you want to look at it that way. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus was stating the obvious. And after that, in case you didn't get the point, he begins to overstate the absurd. He says, you don't light a lamb and put it under a basket. I mean, who in their right mind would do that? If you were doing a renovation in your home and the electrician comes and gives you an advice to say, I think you can put your light bulb under this chair you would sack him immediately. So Jesus is not saying someone would do that. He is overstating the absurd. No one would do that. And in case you think, oh dear, I've got to go light this entire world. I've got to crank up as much energy as I can to generate enough light. Jesus is saying, look, 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 look. I'm talking about a lamp that is placed in the house. It gives light to all who are in the house. 
And when you think house, please don't think bungalow. Uh, don't think a huge mansion that we are so accustomed to these days. Don't even think HDB flat. In those days, it was just literally one room. That's all it is. It might only be a fraction of this hall that we are seated in. And all Jesus is saying is just be that light. Just be that light. Wherever you are, be that light. And this is what your light has to do. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Now he gets really practical. In case you missed it, my friends, this is what a light should be doing. You are to have good works. To shine a light means to have good works. But what is good works? You look at good works and through the entire New Testament, it is actually quite a major theme keeps popping up over and over again. And I believe the basis we can find in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that we have to remember this, that we are not saved by these good works. But after Paul gives his statement that we are saved by grace through faith, he says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we've all been saved for good works. And in case you're wondering if God is now thinking, oh, I'm going to look at this, this guy and let me wonder what good work he can do. No, 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 no. no. He's got it all planned out. It, the Bible says that God prepared beforehand. That's how great our God is. The moment you say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you, the good works are there ready for you. You are ready to shine. You are ready to do these good works. And it's been prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them. Sometimes we look at good work and say, okay, so what does it really mean? What is good works then? Does it mean I sing in the choir? Does it mean I play in a band? Let's go to the Greek word. The Greek word is ergon. Ergon just means you have to do something, something that needs to be done. In other words, it can be employment. Works can be employment. So if you're employed, guess what? You've got work to do. It can be a business. If you're running a business, you are doing work. It can be a little deed, a simple task. And in our Keeper's Awakening language, I love this next word. It is an assignment. Simply, whatever God wants you to do, go do it. It doesn't have to be a big, huge thing. Go save the world kind of stuff. No. That's what the word work means. But how do we qualify good? Would you agree with me that if light is represented by life and truth and wisdom, then works will be considered good if that work contributes to life, if that work is truthful and declares and moves by God's truth and righteousness, and if that work reveals and brings understanding and gives wisdom to the people around. In a simple paraphrase, I believe that good works would be the works that declare the righteousness of God's kingdom and would also reveal the light of God's salvation into this kingdom. As long as we bring light, as long as we walk truthfully, do it truthfully, righteously, to the dictates or the purposes of the king as well as his kingdom, as long as it is done wisely, and being wise doesn't mean that you have to be totally smart with a PhD. That's not the idea of biblical wisdom. Biblical wisdom is simply walking in the ways of God. That's all it is. Because God says, if you follow my dictates and my commandments, it would make you wise. That's what it is. And when we do this, when we seek first the kingdom, when we seek first the ways, the righteousness, the standards of the kingdom, people will see these things and they will glorify the Father in heaven. Amen? The ultimate purpose is to glorify God. 
the ultimate purpose is not for us to get a promotion, to get a better pay. If that comes along the way, praise be to God. Whatever we do, that the works might be good according to the ways of the King of the Kingdom is to glorify the King who is God. That's all there is. And it declares that as we do these things, the assignments as it were, we glorify the Father in heaven. I like this verse in John chapter 17, verse 4. Right at the end of Jesus' time on earth, He prays this high priestly prayer. And he directs this to the Father. He says, I have glorified you on the earth. And I don't want you to miss this because I know every person here desires to glorify God. Amen? But Jesus declares, I have glorified you on the earth. And what's the next statement? I have finished the work which you have given me to do. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And this is something that I hold dear within my heart today. Of course, there's one way that we can glorify God as we sing, as we praise, and we honor Him. But if we follow the example of Jesus, how did He glorify God? He finished the work. Amen? He did what was required. He did what was assigned to Him. And that's why, my dear friends, that's what our keepers awakening is all about. It's not to push you to be busy. It's not to push you, you know, to feel guilty that you're not doing anything. No. It's that if you would know it and you would do it, it is to the glory of God our Father. Others may see it and others may give glory to God. But there are times others may look at it and they may not even glorify God at all. But it does not matter because as far as we are concerned, we are shining light Father, light sons. Amen. That's what it means. Good works is to bring glory to the Father. Let me close by just moving on a little bit more to a different track. Because as I shared with you just now, that as there is a true light, there are also false lights. And today we look at this other light, and I wish it was as easy to discern that if I hold a blue light, I'm the good force. That if I hold a red lightsaber, I'm the bad guy. But it's not quite as obvious, right? Because today, good works seem to be done by almost anyone and everyone. In fact, some people who are not Christians can do better work or nicer work than some of us as Christians. Let's just explore this together. You see, right at the beginning... The enemy has already attempted for men to live independent of God who is the true light. You know that the first temptation which resulted in sin, the serpent that was cunning, came to the woman and he said, you know why God doesn't want you to eat this fruit? Your eyes will be open. You will be like God. You will know good and evil. Now let's paraphrase that in the context of what we have been saying for the past half hour. Your eyes will be open. What does that mean? You'll have your own wisdom. You have your own understanding. You're going to be smart. It's okay. You can make your own decisions. You will be like God. In other words, you can be your own God. And you get to run your own life. Nobody needs to tell you what to do. You will know good and evil. Oh, that's good. In other words, I get to define my own truth. I have my own morality. If I say this is good, it shall be good. If I say this is evil, it shall be evil. Can you see? Right from the beginning, there was already an alternative source of light. There was a different light that was being put in place. And you know, all true history you will find the same thing happening over and over and over and over again. Man began to put trust in himself, in his own knowledge. In days of old, you would find mystery or Gnostic-type religions that would be based on secret knowledge and, and rights based on how much I knew versus how little you know. When you went on to the 5th to the 15th century, discoveries at that point in time were largely still seen in reference to God's light and to God's wisdom. 
if you look at the early scientists, the discoveries, everything was attributed to the glory of God. But later on, we came into the dark ages and there was a decline of the church. And as it were, you know, God's light began to dim because the church sort of went underground. And from the 16th century to even present day today, from that time, that turn of that century, there was an age of a discovery again. We call modern enlightenment. There was a, a spark of the light coming again. But the problem was that human reason began to take over. And human rationalizing began to overshadow what is truly God's light that was given to man. So from that point onwards, we have the rise of secularization, the rise of rationalization. And today, we have disciplines called philosophy and psychology. And I'm giving you this background because today we have two very present challenges and dangers. And it's, I think we have to be very aware of this. The first thing is humanism and human rights. Let me quickly just run through this for you. Get used to this one word. Do you know that there is a humanistic society of Singapore? And uh, I think it's gaining quite a lot of traction. We were told just now that the youths or the younger people are shunning religion. And the reason is because they are embracing science as if science and theology don't go hand in hand. Right? If you really understand science, it can prove a lot of what the Bible is saying. But it is Darwinian in, in thought, in its basis. It's being taught in our schools. And all our children are growing up rejecting what religion is. It doesn't help that religion is having bad press and not having a great name. The humanist mantra is that human problems must be solved by humans. We can make a difference. What they're saying is that we can be the light of the world. We are smart enough. We are capable enough. Within all of us, we are moral enough. We are good enough. Inherently, we are good. We are nice people. We will save the world. In case you do not know, it was the humanists who tried to put together the League of Nations after World War I. Now, the League of Nations is like a coalition of bringing nations together so that they can establish peace within the world. That didn't really work out. World War II broke out. And after World War II, League of Nations became the United Nations. And today you know that there's the United Nations and there are peacekeeping forces of the United Nations, all humanistic in ideology. They do a lot of good work. They do a lot of charity work. They give a lot of money. They are philanthropists. You know, and they are, many of them are non-religious. They are the light of the world, as it were, if we look at it. We just do good things. So can you understand? It's not just doing good things. It has to be righteous things and according to the ways of the kingdom. What are they trying to achieve? You have heard these three words before. They're trying to achieve a new world order so that the entire world can come together, hold hands and sing, we are the world. And we love each other. We're all humanists and we donate gods. We donate religions because all religions are essentially the same anyway. They teach you to do good and not to do bad. So since we're all good, we can all live happily ever after. Very soon, they hope to establish a one-world government with a one-world currency and with one-world religion. Everyone's speculating, obviously, what that religion is. They say it's this, they say it's that, but there's also a theory that the religion could just be humanism because everyone agrees that we all have to be nice people. This is an alternative light and it is shining rather brightly in its sphere. If we are not careful, Christians begin to receive some of these teachings and think that truly we're all the same. The other danger that we, are, that we must be careful of is that Gnosticism, which surfaced in the time of the early church, has never gone away. It's just been repackaged over and over and over again. And this part here, Gnosticism and New Age practices, is not something that's happening out there in the occult Friends, you have to be careful that these alternative lights are being brought into the church today. It is happening in many of our quarters, in many of our churches, in many of our meetings. And you will find certain Christian practices telling you that you can have special revelation, you can have special wisdom, 
And it, we just use Christian terms. We call it prophets. We call it prophetic, uh, where they release things to you. And only those who are closer to God, you know, who are more intimate with Him, are able to get some of this information and knowledge. There's teaching that's going around that says that if you would walk with us in this way, then you will be a new breed of what they call elite Christians. That you'll be stronger, you'll be better, you'll be more empowered by the Holy Spirit, and you will be positioned in the world to take over the world, to establish God's kingdom, so that we can hand over this perfect kingdom. The church is going to be perfect, radiant, spotless when Jesus comes. And that's their theology. But again, if you look into the Bible, it doesn't say anything like that. But it sounds right, it sounds good, it sounds attractive, it sounds rah-rah. And I can tell you, let's, I'll submit to you, even myself, perhaps we have been even influenced by some of these very revolutionary type Christian talk. New Age practices, being one with everything. Unity, can you see being one, one world, uh, and all to, to sort of be yoked in, uh, with nature again, to, to be in touch with, with yourself, um, inner peace that you should be having, uh, positive thinking that what you think is what is going to be. All these are new age. And it's being repackaged and you, with a rubber stamp behind with a Bible book with a chapter and a verse, and we are lapping it all up. Paul wants of a different spirit, of a different gospel. He even says, be careful because they preach a different Jesus. And it's very scary for us and we must discern because, as you know, I've been sharing a little bit more boldly these days about certain practices and doctrines, whether it's hypergrace or I'm studying a little bit more into what this new apostolic reformation is all about. And someone was a little bit upset with what I had shared and this was the remark that was posted let me just paraphrase. What this person actually said was, why do we have to worry so much about doctrine and what the Bible says? As long as it's not done to lift up Jesus, it means nothing. Now that sounds very Christian, right? It's all about Jesus. The centrality of Christ. But what this person has just declared in one sweeping statement is, let's not bother about doctrine. Let's not bring Bible verses into the picture. You know, if you do all this, but you don't lift Jesus up, then it means nothing at all. All we need is the name of Jesus. Should we be surprised? I don't think so because Paul actually warns us that this should be no surprise to us. You know, it's no wonder. You know, these are false apostles. They are deceitful workers. They transform themselves into apostles of Christ because Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. In case you didn't know, Satan, whose name was Lucifer, it just means the bright one. He's the shiny one. He's very full of light. Except that he's the wrong light. He's an alternate light. And therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. It should not surprise us. How can we discern? We are the light of the world. We need to better understand where that source of light is coming from. And if you are ready to throw away Scripture, if you are ready to throw away everything that our church fathers have fought so hard for, died for, to protect, then if we should be misguided and deceived, there's one line in the Bible in Romans that's always scary. God says, He gives them over. He gives them up. This is the Father of lights. This is the God whom we serve. So friends, you are the light of the world. I've chosen a different track for this one statement. Because I know you know that we need to shine. And we will do our best. But let's not be found guilty or faulty to preach a different gospel. Be warned, my dear friends, because today, the church seems to be preaching a gospel of nice. Be nice to everyone. The Bible says we are to shine. And sometimes when we want to shine, people are all too ready to snuff out this light. You are the light of this world. We can only draw from the true light who comes from the Father who is light. May we shine wherever God places us. May we do the good works that would reveal the life of God, the kingdom of God, 
the truth and the righteousness of His ways and also to declare wisdom, understanding and revelation, especially in a time such as this. Let's pray together. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Always we declare thank you, Lord, for giving us scripture. And I pray, Lord, that you will be that light. Holy Spirit, will you always bring understanding and illumination, Lord, for us to bring understanding from scripture that we will not twist it, we will not pervert it. Lord, we live in a day where experiences are more important than what is objective in your word. Lord, we live in a day where we are happy to be subjective to say, this is what you make of it and this is what I make of it. Let's not argue and let's just hold hands so that we can be appearing united. Lord, may we not compromise. May we continue to be the life that is needed in a world that is dying. May we continue to declare truth without compromise, but always in love. And may we bring wisdom, understanding, and revelation so that people, their eyes will be open to the true light who is in Jesus Christ and be saved from a kingdom of darkness into His kingdom of your marvelous light. And so dismiss us with this, Lord, and enable us to shine through good works that people will see it and give you glory in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.